And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. This is the Athletic Baseball Show on the Athletic Podcast Network. Welcome to the Athletic Baseball Show presented by Tops. It is Friday, April 29th. Derek Van Riper here with Keith Law. On this episode, we do a brief dive into the AL Central in the wake of a torn ACL for Adalberto Mondesi. We'll talk about adjustments the Royals are going to make and what the future might hold for him. Another unfortunate injury for Eloy Jimenez in Chicago. We'll take a look at the White Sox and their sluggish start and see if there's anything to be concerned about there. I'll talk about a few of the young regulars getting opportunities for the Guardians early on this season. We'll have some overreaction theater. We'll have some baseball is hard late bloomers. And we're going to take a real close look at what the A's have been doing with their DH spot because it deserves to be mentioned and highlighted at uh, some point. So can we talk about that for the entire show? I think it would lead to a lot of one star reviews. No, this is going to be like my Netflix stand up special. This is going to be the absolute best Keith we've had all season once we get there. Certainly the most incredulous, Keith. Yes. We'll save it for about 30 minutes in or so. I think we should start with Mondesi. It's the the big news of the end of the week. We don't have to talk about the benches clearing between the Cardinals and Mets. That's just typical baseball stuff. And no one likes to have pitches thrown at their faces. I mean, like that's understandably a, a source of frustration. I understand why some people are writing about that. I don't care. I really don't care. This has nothing to do with... Players being good, not good, teams winning games. I understand it matters to the players. I'm not saying it doesn't matter at all. And obviously, if somebody gets seriously hurt, either because they get hit by a pitch or because it's a fight, that matters. Yeah. Oh, my God. There are 800 things I would rather talk about than that. I like to grade the behavior during the benches clearing situations. I felt like the one thing that stood out to me about the incident on Wednesday between the Cardinals and Mets was the pace at which everybody got into the fracas. That that was impressive. That was mm-hmm. top of the scale hustle. We had one guy out of the Cardinals bullpen just hurdle the fence instead of going around through the gate because the line to get out the gate was too long. I saw Paul Goldschmidt in a full sprint. I saw a stubby clap taking Pete Alonzo to the ground. No, this is not what we want. We don't want first base coaches wrestling star hitters to the ground. Random injuries happen this way. I know people get excited about these things, but uh, the I think the Mets of all the teams in the league, we talked about this a bit on the 3-0 show, they have reason to be frustrated with how often they've been hit this year because they lead the league by a decent margin. All that is to say, no, nah, we're not here for brawl coverage. Let's talk about Adalberto Mondesi, though. A torn ACL. I don't think we have confirmation that it's a full tear that ends his season, but at the time of this recording, that seems like the direction we are heading. And... If that's the case, Keith, we're talking about another offseason of uncertainty. He's shown flashes of being a really exciting player, but he's just unfinished in so many ways. And 
from a Royals adjustment perspective, I, they move Whit Merrifield to second base, keep playing Bobby Witt Jr. at third and play Nicky Lopez at short every day. I think that's the easy tweak for now. We see a lot of Kyle Isbell and Edward Olivares in the corner working as a platoon out in right field. But at this point, what's next for Mondesi? You assume you know the long path of rehab and, and probably back to full health around the time spring training begins in 2023 if the timetable of Ronald Acuna Jr. gives us any sort of indication. He's just not that good, right? Can we just... I feel like there's been... I understand he's a good fantasy player. This guy's got parts of eight seasons in the big leagues now, right? He's worth four and a half wins with a 280 career on base percentage. He's just not good. And he's going to be... By the time he comes back, he will have already turned 27. So... Either he's in his peak years or this is this is just it. I, I don't understand. I've ne- there was a point when Alberto Mondesi was like a 19-year-old prospect. I was in. I got it, right? Because it's all projection and tools and he had bat speed. He could fly. He looked like he'd be really good at shortstop. I have said multiple times going back to my God, it must have been 2013 when I saw him in Wilmington. It was 13 or 14 when I saw him in Wilmington. And the Royals' big developmental thing for him that year was having him try to bunt more to make use of his speed. And I said, this is really actively hurting his pitch recognition. He's not actually seeing enough pitches. He's not getting deeper into counts. It's going to really impact, one, his ability to get on base, two, his ability to hit. That seems like that's what's happened. There's no going back. He's not going to learn better pitch recognition and play discipline now. It's really unlikely, extremely unlikely that he would do that, especially because he is terrible at it. This guy's never drawn 20 walks in a major league season. He has 60 in 360, 358 career big league games. He's not good. He's just not very good. He is talented, but he is not good. And honestly, the Royals just need to turn the page on him. I'm not saying release him, but just he's probably gone for the year. Right? Just make a plan that does not involve Mondesi in it next year. Where you because I think he's actually yeah, he's got one more year of team control. But you know what? You just plan that he is not in the opening day lineup next year, not because of injury, but because you just gotta move on. It's not happening. And to your I think your plan is probably what they end up doing with the players they have. But my God, just put Bobby Witt Jr. back at shortstop. It's his natural position. He can really play it. It's an 80 arm, he's an 80 runner. And you can always move him back to third base if it, if you decide he's not good enough to play third or if at some point he outgrows the position. I don't really foresee that happening. But we can talk a little bit about kind of the rough start he's had. But he's going to hit for some power, and I think he will get on base at a good clip, and he can run. That bat at shortstop might challenge for an MVP award at some point. Whereas at third base, he's still a really, really good player. Might still challenge for an MVP award at some point, but it's just more valuable at shortstop. Why would you give up on that already when he's only, what is he, 22? Yeah, still very, very young. The other problem, I guess, that you'd have, if you're going to play Witt at short, who do you want to play at third in, in this series of adjustments? Would you play Witt Merrifield over at third base? Yes. Just to say, well, he's not a big part of our long-term future. If we're taking a little bit of a defensive hit here, fine. At least we're playing our franchise player at the spot where we think he should be long-term. Right. That's the guy you're building around. And there's been talk about them potentially moving MJ Melendez, who's a catching prospect. And I want to emphasize, he is a catching prospect. He can catch. He can really throw. They have Salvador Perez behind the plate, who's leading the team in home runs. 
and has a 277 on base percentage, which is kind of in line with Perez's career. He's also 32, and he's got a lot of mileage on him for a catcher. I'd leave Melendez behind the plate. However, if they chose to put him, try him out at third base, well, if Witt is it short, Melendez could come up at third base at some point later this year and maybe just catch occasionally. It's not like he's going to lose that skill over the course of a little part of a season. But yeah, I would try that. I mean, you build Bobby Witt Jr. is their best prospect. And you would expect him within a year or so to be the best player, at least the best position player, the best player, I think, on the whole roster. You build around him. So you figure out where does he belong? He belongs at shortstop. Now we move outwards from there. As far as Witt's early struggles go, and and I think this is a generally safe disclaimer to put out there for any player within a few weeks of his debut, you can't read too much into what's happening. But what is happening so far? What is working to get Witt out consistently? Why has it been this slow of a start? Aside from the, yes, Major League pitching is very difficult to hit. Yeah, well, that's the number one thing, right? That's, that is true for lots of rookies are struggling. I'm sure we'll talk about a couple. I had a column up on these, a bunch of these guys today where I make it very clear. People still didn't read the intro. If you go to the comments, there's already people who didn't read the intro. I make it very clear. I'm not drawing conclusions. I'm not changing opinions. I'm just saying, here's what happened so far. That's it. Um, he's not hitting the ball very hard and he's had some trouble on fastballs. That's kind of surprising. That said, um, he, Never really had an issue with any of that before. I have never once, I've seen Witt a little bit. I mean, so in high school, I've seen him a little bit in the minors. Also certainly talked to plenty of people about Witt. I don't know anybody who thought, well, this guy can't hit a fastball. I think this is just a little bad luck, a little bit of adjustment. Um, There's some length to his swing. There is, it's always been there. It was the one concern I had on him as an amateur. And I'm not saying this in the sense of he's not as good as we thought he was. I'm not at all. But I'm also not totally shocked. I will not be totally shocked if he has a year this year where he shows flashes of it and he's very productive overall, but it's for a good bit lower batting average than maybe people were hoping for in, in you know, again, it being his rookie year. And I think some of that is just he can get a little bit long from just where he starts his hands to where he gets the bat head to the zone. They may be able to make some adjustments to work around that. He's also just going to get used to seeing big league pitching. This guy's a pretty... You know, he's a baseball lifer. Obviously, his dad was the third pick in the draft. God, 40 years ago, 37 years ago. Yeah, 37 years ago. Um, so I'm not worried about him, but we're seeing, I, I mean, what you said is not just like some bromide, right? Big, the big leagues are hard. Big league pitching is as good as it's ever been in the history of the sport. And I think the gap between the competition that people face, players face in AAA versus what they face in the majors is as big as it's ever been. Yeah, we hit on that a few weeks ago. It's just the the nature of AAA last year, especially the the level of, of pitching was down because there were so many injuries at the big league level, and there was a lot of backfilling. So you had these; they're, they're not even I don't even know how to describe them. They're more just like organizational filler players, for lack of a better description. You had more of those guys pitching at AAA instead of prospects on the brink of of breaking through to the big leagues, and I think. That inflated numbers a little bit, similar to the way that the rabbit ball in 2019 inflated AAA numbers. It doesn't mean the players that were productive at the level last year won't be good. It just means they have a a longer path to make some adjustments. And I've said this at least a dozen times on the podcast over the last year. I don't think sending a player like Witt down is the right move, at least 
anytime soon oh, because God, no. the problems he's having right now will not be fixed going back to a level that he's already solved. So you right. want him to keep playing. The Royals are doing right by him right now, keeping him in the big leagues. If this continues into June, maybe we can talk, right? If it turns into a mechanical problem with his swing or something else is, is broken down, okay, fine. Maybe then a brief demotion makes some sense. I don't see anything that says that's true. I agree. You're 100%. I agree with every absolutely everything you just said. That's true. going to be true of all of most of the players I talked. Like, I didn't think any of the guys I talked about in my column today needed to be sent down. That's that's You're not saying this, but if people are saying, oh, maybe we should send so-and-so down, no. Even some of the guys I didn't mention, Josh Lowe's off to a really bad start for Tampa Bay. I don't think he needs to be sent down. It's way too small of a sample. But also, most of these hitters are going to struggle right out of the shoot. I mean, the Stephen Kwan thing was a thing because I wish I'd gotten that. I just ran out of time. I really did want to put him in the column. It's just, it was late last night. I was like, oh my God, I have to stop. But <laughs> the fact that he doesn't strike out, he doesn't swing and miss, is so notable. Now, I don't think that makes him a superstar. But it's really interesting because we're talking about some incredibly talented, highly rated, highly drafted prospects coming up this year. Torkelson was first pick in the draft. Witt Jr. was the second pick in the draft. These guys are coming up and they are struggling right out of the chute, which just shows how freaking hard it is to hit big league pitching right now. How hard it is to hit a big league fastball right now. From an evaluation perspective, it seems like teams are are selecting more for power than ever before, right? Power is king when it comes to looking at position players and how they hit. I almost wonder if it's gone just a step too far where maybe teams don't look enough at guys with great hit tools, but you have to have an exceptional hit tool and an ability to make a lot of contact. You have to be extreme like Stephen Kwan for that to matter because the payoff of not really hitting many home runs is that you have to you basically have to be this high end like 300 type hitter who also draws walks. A lot of these guys that make a lot of contact don't work the count and draw walks. They, they might hit close to 300, but they get on base at a 330 clip and with no power, that doesn't work. Or with limited defensive value, that doesn't work. But Quan, he's a very unique player. And I think we may have talked about him a couple of weeks ago. The ongoing question, and it's, it's, it's a, for me, it's curiosity. Maybe you've got a better feel for it already. I really don't know how much in-game power he's going to provide. I, I, I'm no, very skeptical of, of long-term power from Stephen Kwan, even though his pitch recognition appears to be very good, if not elite, mm-hmm. and his hit tool seems to be very good. It's. Uh, I agree with you. I don't think that he is um, going to get to a lot of power. I think he's going to be a good big leaguer. I think he's going to play as a regular for probably quite a while because he's going to put the ball in play a ton. And because I think he makes hard enough contact that it's not going to be, you know, I always call him poor Nick Madrigal. He's just going to be the guy for the next 10 years, right? Where we talk about a guy who doesn't hit the ball hard enough. He's not that, right? Um, Xavier Edwards, who's in the Tampa Bay system, who does a lot of things I really like, but he just doesn't hit the ball very hard. And at a certain point, you're like, it's like the old far side cartoon. You must be as tall as this sign to attack the city. Like You got to hit the ball at least this hard to project as anything much in the big leagues. Um, and Quanda, I think, passes that test. But I think the way he swings is not going to generate big flies. To your question about what teams are selecting for, I'll push back a little bit. And it's 30 teams, 30 philosophies, right? Not every team is going after it the same way. And you, you know, just as you have... The Nationals last year took Brady House in the first round. I think they picked 11th. Um, Brady House had the best exit velocities of anyone in the high school class. He might have had any best exit velocities, at least peak, of anyone in the draft at, at all. So they were simply selecting for 
Do you hit the ball hard? Who hits the ball harder than anybody else? Okay, you can play. Well, and Brady House right now is destroying low A. I'm expecting him to show up here in Wilmington any minute because the heck that he's just too good for low A at this point. And hey, by the way, maybe they really got something there. Not that I thought they had a good prospect, but I thought he might take time. Uh, like that's that's a philosophy, and there are teams that are doing that. They want that peak exit velocity over everything else, and they're like, we can work on the other things, and we can live with some swing and miss. There are other teams that are just as focused on can you hit. I know teams, I know scouts, I know player development people who say, give me a guy who can hit and who hits the ball reasonably hard and we can get him to more power. But the hardest thing to do is to teach a guy to hit. If you try to hand us somebody who hits the ball hard but can't hit, Jared Kendall in the Dodgers system, that's a really hard thing to do. And you have to have the right player and the right athleticism, probably the right coaches. That's a whole lot of things to line up there. But at least when it comes to the top of the draft, which is really what I focus on when doing draft coverage, you do see a lot of different approaches. Why we have these arguments going on this year. Do you want Drew Jones, Andrew's son, with the first overall pick, who has, I think, the most upside, along with like a pretty decent floor because he's such a good defensive center fielder. But would you roll the dice on Tamar Johnson, a 5'8 high school shortstop who's going to move to second base, who people say has the best hit tool they've seen in a high school kid in 10 or 20 years? Well, if you really believe in the hit tool, you might say, we can get that guy to hit the ball harder and get to 20 plus homers. If you want the now power... You're taking Jones or several other guys, and you're saying we're going to pass on Tamar because that one, that one thing you're talking about, the ability to hit, isn't necessarily enough for us. Up at the top, we're talking about the very top of the draft here. I'm thinking about the the Guardians a little bit more. Thinking about Quan as someone that maybe could add some power later. Right, he fits that description. Give me a guy that can hit and I can add power later versus Bobby Bradley, who they've had in their system for a long time, who has plenty of power, mm-hmm. but doesn't get to it nearly often enough to be a big league regular. And I think I look at those two players and say, it is much easier for me to convince myself that Stephen Kwan could be a starter in the big leagues for four or five years than Mm -hmm. it is for me to convince myself that Bobby Bradley could be a starter in the big leagues for even two years with that approach. Cleveland's so interesting because the number, if you asked any, I don't think this is just me. If you asked anybody, covers the draft, if you ask anybody who's involved in the draft, what's the number one thing Cleveland looks for in prospects? Age. They want like if you look at who's the youngest guy, Cam Collier is 17, Lou Collier's kid, 17 years old at a junior college this year. I'm playing really well. He's at Chipola College in, in Florida, the best junior college program in the country. And he is really hitting. I look at the Cleveland pick 16th. There's no way Collier should get there, but their model probably breaks with him. They're like, we don't know what to do with this. We think he's Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig, <laughs> right? There's they're, they are so geared towards favoring players who are young for their class. Now, here's a guy who's a, the age of a high school junior and is hitting, and by the way, making making contact too, while facing competition that's almost exclusively two to four years older than he is. I, I don't know. I obviously haven't seen Cleveland's model. I just picture the computer smoking, right? They're just, they, they're, there's, there would be Cam Collier and everybody else, which is also not the right answer, but that is what they seem to favor. And I do think a little bit of that also is, Hey, if we we get them young, and by the way, they've already shown present skill level while they're that young, we can do more. If we got a 17-year-old who's already shown some field to hit, look at how much more we can do. One, he's shown he can hit competition that's a little older and ostensibly a little better. And then second is we've essentially got a whole extra year of development to work with this guy, to work with a draft guy, uh, which would put him you know, more on par with their international free agents who are first coming here to work with the coaching staff, also at age 17. 
Yeah, you look up and down this roster right now for Cleveland. I mean, Stephen Kwan had the great first week and is still doing a great job drawing walks, putting a lot of balls in play. Owen Miller kind of followed him and had a great second week of the season. Josh Naylor's back from the IL, and maybe this is the year that Naylor starts to put it all together. I still think he's going to hit. I think he's going to hit. He's he's a good player, but up and down this lineup, they have a lot of guys with sub-20% K rates, and it's Mm -hmm. one of those things. When you look at the the end-of-the-year leaderboards for teams, usually the elite teams... The Astros in the last four to five years have consistently been there. They just stopped striking out. They just they flipped it over time. The Blue Jays, the current version of the Blue Jays, they're kind of like the peak Astros. And and I think Cleveland is tracking to be more like them in terms of strikeout rate. They're not going to be there in terms of results based on how they're built right now. Right. They don't have enough power. They don't have enough uh, secondary contributors, but they do have some interesting guys. I'm curious what you think of guys like Owen Miller or even Richie Palacios who got called up this week. Do they have anybody else that's coming into the equation who's going to be a consistent regular for them, given some of the issues they've had developing corner outfielders, especially. I think Naylor, there's more power there. He's off to a great start just in terms of contact and obviously he's hitting for average. I, I think there's power there. He was like a breakout candidate for me last year, two years ago. I remember, always look at my old breakout lists. They're like one to three years early on guys. Obviously, some have never, I'm still waiting for the Ricky Weeks breakout, but uh, you and me both. Naylor was not off to a great start last year, and he got hurt. He missed the second half of the season. I would love to see him. He's he's more he's got more ability than he has ever shown in the big leagues, and a lot of that has been injury and pandemic year, et cetera. But he's turned himself into reasonably disciplined hitter. He has gotten his body in much better shape since high school. There is power in there that he has really not yet shown. He's only got 16, 17, sorry, 17 big league homers so far. Only one this year in nine games, obviously, not a whole lot. But I think there's quite another gear of power in there. I like Miller as a chance to be a soft regular. I like Palacios as a chance to be a soft regular. I, I really like Palacios' ability to hit. You want to talk about what, what the stuff you were talking about there? Palacios out of Towson University, not a lot of big leaguers coming out of there. Uh, he doesn't look the part necessarily but he can i think he can really hit i really like how he handles the bat this he shows when i saw him in fall league last year he showed the ability to hit different pitch types and different pitch locations to really just manipulate the barrel to be able to put the ball in play that is something i i i do try to value a lot because i think it is a rare skill and it in theory sets guys up well to make the transition to facing the better quality of pitching you see in the big leagues right now Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. There's a lot going on in this division right now, so I don't want to get too locked in on any one team. I think the White Sox 
with Eloy Jimenez being down for the next six to eight weeks, they're in a familiar spot. They dealt with a lengthy absence from Jimenez last year, trying to make that catch in spring training, suffering that pec injury. They were without Luis Robert for a significant portion of last season and still kind of cruised in the AL Central. Things feel different this time around. I think it's in, in part because the AL West is a little bit deeper. The AL East is still very good. One of the three divisions has to be down, relatively speaking, if the other two divisions are up. So I think this is going to be a more difficult division to win for the White Sox compared to last year because the other mm-hmm. teams also got better. The Tigers are better than they were a year ago. The Royals are probably better than they were a year ago. Cleveland's still solid. I think it's going to be really important for the White Sox to have their secondary contributors step up. Like The rotation's easily the best of the teams in the division. I think they have a hands-down advantage with pitching across the board. But Andrew Vaughn quietly mashing Keith, and I think this is this is like the good reminder, especially coming out of a, a lost minor league season in 2020. We have a lot of players who were just getting back settled in in 2021, and for Vaughn, he made the leap from high A to the big leagues, held his own, learned a new position, and now he's taking one more step forward here in year two, which comes at a perfect time with Jimenez expected to miss six to eight weeks. So. A whole lot to unpack here. I should have taken notes, actually, on your last comment. Um, there's so much good stuff. That's me praising you, not me saying stop talking so much. This is the Keith Law Show. <laughs> That's a different podcast. It usually runs on Mondays. That's true. Yes. Let me start with, this will mostly be a White Sox answer, since I think that was mostly a White Sox comment. Um, one, you know, our, our friend Joe Sheehan of the great Joe Sheehan newsletter uh, had a newsletter the other day where he talked about the White Sox being in some trouble, which he did talk about back. He talked in February, hey, this team is, they're the best team in the division, but they don't have a lot of margin for error because there's no second line here, right? If the first line gets decimated by injuries, who comes in next? And that's kind of happening right now for them. And I think the his point is pretty accurate. There, he pointed out in the column, White Sox didn't put any prospects on my top 100. Their top prospects in the system at that point, I think their top four guys were all likely to start in A ball or below. Um, The guys in the system who are close to the majors or were close to the majors coming into this year are probably not difference makers. They may be capable as fill-ins. They may be future regulars, but they're not guys who are going to step in and have a real impact. And I, I would be worried if I were a White Sox fan at this point because that's the they've suffered enough injuries that would test the depth of a lot of teams. And they don't have depth like a lot of teams. They have quite a bit less depth. They've invested very well in their front line and they built a potential championship team if everyone's healthy. But they did it at some cost of depth, at trading some guys and um, and just, I think, having a few guys not work out along the way, a couple of drafts not work out. Um, you know, they took a shot on a Garrett Crochet saying he can get to the big leagues quick and help. He's a reliever, but he can get there quick and help us immediately. And he blew out. He's out for the year. And, you know, a couple of things like that not going your way. They just didn't have the mar- They didn't have the margin for error. I just keep saying the same phrase over and over again. Um, on Vaughn. I think what you said, I'm going to even add one more point to what you said. Not only did he jump from high A to the majors, he missed 2020. There was nowhere for him to play. So he's drafted in 19. Uh, I think he was second on my draft board that year. I had Rutschman one, who we should be, we should see in a week or two. I think he's playing in, well, he's playing in low A. We'll see how long, uh, sorry, he's playing in high A. We'll see how long it is. Do they send him to double A? I could see them having him make a couple stops because I'm sure the affiliates would really appreciate it. Uh, But he'll be in Baltimore (laughs) soon. 
And I will go see him somewhere. So I had Rutschman 1, Vaughn 2, Witt 3. I mean, I think we could say it's a pretty good draft class, right? Those three guys are all looking really good so far. Witt all the way up to AAA. I'm not worried about him. Vaughn goes from high A, spends like a month there at the end of his draft summer, doesn't play in 20, gets jumped to the big leagues and asked to play a brand new position. He's really not an outfielder. He's re- he's still not an outfielder. I know they have him playing it, but I certainly think he should be either a first baseman or a DH. Um, and he's doing, but he's doing the thing that I think everyone agreed he could do. We all thought he could hit. Everybody pretty much agreed he could hit and he knew the strike zone. The big question I remember on him was power. He's not a huge guy. You, there was not projection. He hit for a lot of power in college, but that's with a metal bat and different competition. I think we're starting to see it. And I do think he's going to – it may be sort of more quiet power. It's not Joey Gallo, right? The heavens are shaking power. But Andrew Vaughn's going to hit 25-plus homers at some point. Maybe it's this year. That'd be great. Maybe it's next year. I think he's going to get there. And he's, I, I do believe, I, looking at the stat line right now, through 14 games, a minuscule sample, I believe that on-base percentage is going to hold up. More than I believe he's going to continue to slug like this. If he does both, great. But he's this is the one thing that could have gone right for them, right? The one guy who was going to be in the lineup anyway, who wasn't very good last year in his rookie year, but who could, we knew had a lot of potential. Everyone thought this guy had a lot of potential. Is he breaking out this year? Maybe. Great. He's it's in it's in there somewhere. I'm not shocked. I didn't also didn't predict it to happen for this year. Yeah, I'm not going full victory lap or anything because I didn't come out and say in a bold predictions article or on a podcast that he was going to hit 30 this year. But why not, Derek? But what do we can. pay you for? I, I don't really know. I'm just glad they keep inviting me back or haven't figured out that I still get paid to be here. I'm, I'm not really sure which it is at this point, but the barrel rates up early this season for Andrew Vaughn. Hard hit rate, not surprisingly, up as well. K rate down. I mean, it's everything you're looking for in an early breakout. The other player that's really important for them once he comes back from his injury is Yohan Moncada. You know, Jake Berger's playing third base right now. And I think Berger, Berger's okay. Like he's Great he's story, fine. by the way. Yeah. I missed two years, right? Two knee injuries and then had the pandemic. He was basically out for three years. Yeah. And he's at least decent. Yeah, yeah. for sure. And fine as a, as a backup, maybe good enough to be a starter again someday. But Moncada to me is a, a complete mystery. I know he was one of the players that uh, had COVID back during the shortened big league season in 2020, talked about how terrible he felt from it. And he had injuries, I believe, last year, injuries again this year. We've wondered if we were going to get another season from Moncada that looked as good as 2019. And knowing what we know now about the ball that season, it's easier to dial it back a little bit. But there's a lot here still. There's there's a lot of tools to be excited about with him. What do you think 2022 will actually look like once Moncada gets back from this oblique injury? Moncada is actually, I put Luis Robert, who's also hurt, right, in a similar category of guys who in their best years when things go right when the BABIP's really high they're going to be MVP type players right and he did that yeah it was 19 315 batting average he has never sniffed that at any other point he hit 230 I know batting average isn't the whole thing I wrote a book on it simmer down (laughs) I'm getting to the rest of it but the guy goes he hits 235 the year before leads the league in strikeouts hits 315 in 2019 then the next year pandemic Shortened year, hits 225. Last year, it's 263. I'm not just, I hope I'm not just copping out by saying, right, that's probably more what he is. The truth is somewhere in the middle there. 
And the thing that Moncada really did do differently last year, and the thing that would give me a fair amount of hope as a White Sox fan, he upped his walk rate pretty substantially last year. It was 17 more walks than his career best, and he did it in 34 fewer PA. So that's pretty promising. And if he just... I mean, honestly, if he does what he did last year with a little more pop, because he's stronger than that. I think there's a little more power in there. It's a pretty good player, right? And fortunately, getting him away from second base, I think, has made a, a real difference. I think it's made a real difference in his fielding. He's he's pretty good over at third base. I, I wonder if that's helped him hitting, too, because he's not trying to play a position he can't. I mean, Moncada's definitely had – he's going to have swing and miss. He's always going to swing and miss. But he's kept that to a manageable level last year. And I think if he does that, yeah, maybe he doesn't hit for a huge batting average, but the OBP will be high. Price slug closer to 500. I think he was at 412 last year. 412, yes. That's a pretty good player. That's a probably an all-star. And I think if he does that, I think that the White Sox probably could comfortably project that kind of outcome for him. Yeah, last season, a 122 WRC plus for Mankata. Definitely a little higher than I would have expected after glancing at the slash line, but the OBP was fantastic with that walk rate going yeah. up. And he got it's the just K not who down. he was. And he kept the K rate down. If you go, I saw Moncada way back. God, he was twenty or so in the Red Sox system, and he's changed to his credit. He has improved in several ways that I didn't forecast at the time. I never, I didn't. I, I was thought Moncada was a good prospect. He's made himself into a better player, and I, I do like to try to point that out when players do things that are active to make themselves better. It's not like he just got bigger. God. If he got bigger, he'd be playing another sport. He worked it. He clearly worked at it and made some some tangible skill improvements. And he we should be, you know, I, I want us to talk more about players like who do things like that because this this is a difficult game. And when somebody does put in the work and gets that, gets those kind of results, I mean, obviously the results on the field and the salary are rewards, but hey, let's talk more about those guys. Because I think they're the better stories and, frankly, they're models for the next generations of players, too, who will say most guys are going to have to make a lot of adjustments before they can get to the big leagues, if they get to the big leagues. And pointing to a Moncada, and I keep talking about the Austin Riley thing from last year, guys who do that, they are models for future players. Yeah, and I think this is a, a good opportunity to take a look at a few guys that have stood out early on this season who weren't necessarily highly regarded prospects, at least prior to their debuts, maybe upon being drafted. Uh, a couple of the names we get to will have been a little more coveted, but Ty France is one of those guys that if you were number scouting him in the minor leagues, you could usually give yourself a reason not to get too hopeful about him. You know, hitter-friendly environments, uh, maybe good average, not as much power as you'd like, but he has been on a tear for the Mariners to begin this season. Had a good year a year ago, right? He was a three-win player uh, based on Fangraph's war. Just under 20 home runs. A 291, 368, 445 line is fine, right? He tempers the strikeouts. Walks a little less than you might like for a, a corner bat like this. Is there another level power-wise, though? We're seeing something early on. Maybe it's the hot streak, but what do you make of, of Ty France as a guy that just finally got an opportunity to be an everyday player in Seattle and seems to be cashing in. I'm definitely a bit of a skeptic. I, I think Ty France is fine. Um, if he did what he did last year, which is actually more than fine, really. I mean, it would be pretty great if he had any kind of defensive value. What he's done so far this year is so wildly different than anything he's done before, um, You know, including the uh, batting average on balls in play that I think is probably not sustainable. 
he has cut his strikeout rate. He's one of the hardest guys to strike out in the majors right now. If that's really who he is, and that has never been who he's been before, uh, then then I would say, okay, then then I believe he's a different player. Um, but I think this is going to come down a, a, a pretty good way towards last year. And, and again, if he just repeats what he did last year, that's a pretty great outcome from the Mariners. You know, add him to Matt Brash, as guys the Mariners got from the Padres, who, you know, Padres have made a lot of trades. Many of them have worked out. They should probably not trade with Seattle for a little bit because <laughs> that might be two times the Mariners have picked their pockets. Yeah, it really might be. I mean, I look at Ty France and I, I think of a player like him when I see someone like Taylor Ward getting more of an opportunity. The Angels are giving him some run as their leadoff hitter. It looks for now like they might platoon Brandon Marsh and, and Joe Adele and at least see where this goes with Ward <sighs> and I don't think I hate it. I think you might be a little more skeptical. Hate you hate Could it. Could you okay. tell? I hate it. A year ago, as a part-time guy, Taylor Ward was better than a league average hitter by WRC+. Showed a little mm-hmm. bit of power. Uh, less average, uh, more strikeouts than a guy like France. But it was really the first time the Angels just let him play semi-regularly at the big league yes. level. He was more of an up-and-down guy for the better part of the three years before that. And you know, some of the underlying numbers from him in this fast start to the season... His O-swing percentage at a career low, 18.1%. Too early for that to be completely meaningful, but interesting nonetheless. Showing a little bit of extra power, getting the K-rate down, walking more. I'm interested enough to see where it goes. I don't think the Angels are wrong to give him more of a look, but I also think they're going to have to make a smart, quick decision if it doesn't go well. If we flip the calendar to June and Taylor Ward looks more like he did prior to this season... They have to make a tough call on playing him less and you know playing their younger guys more as they try and contend and possibly even win the division this year. I mean, the biggest problem Taylor Ward's always had is that he was a catcher who couldn't really catch, right? That was the main problem with him. I think he caught once for them all of last year. Um, he hasn't caught for them at all this year. By the way, the thing I was reacting to was less about playing Taylor Ward. Do not platoon your prospects. Brandon <laughs> Marsh is a prospect. Joe Adele is a you know, ex-prospect. There's still a ton of ability there. Ain't nobody getting better playing half the time. Like, right. do not platoon your prospects. You platoon them when you've already decided he can't. Even you mentioned Kyle Isbell earlier. I'm not sure I'd give up on Kyle Isbell being a full-time player. If you platoon somebody, though, they're never getting better at the thing you've already decided they can't do. You've just closed that door. And I would have a huge issue, especially with the Angels doing that to Marsh, but also doing that to Adele. Um the thing I find so interesting about Ward this year and the, the thing I question, it's tiny sample, right? Where This is more overreaction theater. I hope people just take this in the spirit in which it's offered. Is he just like Barry Bonds of patience, right? He's walking almost a quarter, more than a fifth of the time. I mean, if he's going to walk 20% of the time, right? There's a pretty high floor on a guy who can do that. And, and do something else, right? I'm assuming he's not going to hit a 120 with a walk rate like that. Eventually, they'll just throw it down the middle. But if Taylor Ward has suddenly developed some sort of preternatural pitch recognition, ball strike recognition, oh, hey, sure. Certainly didn't see that coming. Ward never did anything like that in the minors. I have seen him. He was in fall league a couple of years ago. And it was always like, what do you got? This guy's got nowhere to play. He doesn't have 30 homer power. And he certainly never showed 380 on base type of ability. If he's really got that, Okay, great. I'm I will absolutely buy in and say I have been way too light on Taylor Ward. I also look and think people are going to start changing how do they pitch to him? 
I mean, he's just always kind of feasted on off-speed stuff. And are they just going to start crushing him with more velocity and forcing? And maybe he'll hit it. Maybe he'll show he can get to it. But I, that seems like what yeah you know, he's even this year he's doing a lot of his damage on sliders and cutters. Which okay, by the way, if you can hit a big league slider, good job, absolutely. However, you're going to start seeing a lot of 97, 98, and you're going to have to prove you can hit it. And I, I would say that's probably where we are right now with Ward. Obviously, the numbers are going to come down. Does he have a 5.30 on base percentage? Like that is not. I'm going to go out on a limb and say that's not sustainable. Bold, very bold. That's why I'm here. I'm here for the takes. If he's hitting fastballs better than he has in the past, that does change a lot, though, because mm-hmm. you, you see fastballs more than half the time, right? If you have a weakness against them, that's going to be a problem. If you can turn that into a, a strength or just make it no longer a weakness, then you're a new player. It's probably. Mm-hmm. Not unlike when a pitcher adds a new pitch and we say this guy's completely different. Everything plays off of these other pitches differently now, but this is the hitter equivalent of that for me. Okay, I'm sorry I'm not giving credit where it's due, but Logan Gilbert, like his he didn't so much add a pitch, but both his changeup and his slider are pretty different this year. They're harder. And Logan Gilbert's off to a great start this year, and I think that's a decent part of why. Is that that's a, to what you were just talking about? Is Logan's Logan Gilbert's hot start really sustainable? Well, some of it is. Some of the improvement is sustainable because the stuff is actually different. Because you have something tangible you can point to here. The hardest thing with in Taylor Ward's case is how do you tell? How do you feel confident in saying that a change in eye is real? You can't even look at the video and say, "Well, the swing's different. I like where his hands are. I like how his pupils dilate." I don't think that's a thing. Maybe some teams are doing that. I like some of the swing take decisions better than I have in the past. Maybe you're looking at that internally. Yeah, for sure. and you see that's the thing that's popping. I would need so much more data to feel comfortable with that. And I mean, I'd have to sit on a guy for, I don't even know how many, how long I'd have to sit at a ballpark to really believe that a player with a demonstrated skill level here, I'm drawing a line in the air because people can't see this. We don't have the video podcast yet, but that a guy who was here has suddenly jumped to here. Right? It's different if I've seen a player where we have very little track record, a guy who's just into pro ball. Um, that's different. But you know, Ward is, what, 28? We got a lot of track record with him. So for to say he's different than the player he used to be, this guy walked 8% of the time last year in about a third of a major league season, a little more. And now he's walking more than twice as often. I got to see a whole lot more to believe that that's true. I'm just saying, if if this is a real improvement that he is suddenly... Who's the walking man? Ed Yost? Ed Yost, yeah. Ed Yost, right? Yeah. If he's the new Ed Yost, okay. Well, then, yes, absolutely. He is a valuable player. He doesn't have to do a whole lot else to be good. Guys tend to think looking sharp means starchy Oxfords and stiff chinos rather than effortless comfort, but it's possible to have it both ways. I'm all set for summer thanks to Mack Weldon. The Vesper polo shirt is so breathable you can wear it on the golf course, but it looks classy enough to wear to a party. The Maverick Tech Chino short is ultra flexible, and the Pima Crew Neck T-shirt is perfect for those casual weekends. There's no need to be uncomfortable in your clothing ever again. Some guys just want to look good without calling attention to themselves. Mack Weldon Apparel gives you understated good looks for understated confidence. Mack Weldon clothes are designed to fit your style and the demands of modern life. They look like regular clothes but feel like the latest in modern comfort. They're the go-to choice for guys who want to look great 
without even trying. Breathable underwear that keeps you cool, dry, and comfy all day. Crazy comfortable but elevated sweatpants. An upgraded classic polo with antimicrobial silver threads. An ultra-soft antimicrobial tee for when you need to stay fresh longer. That's the Silver Crew Neck T-shirt. Get timeless looks with modern comfort from Mack Weldon. Go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off your first order with promo code MLBSHOW. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com. Promo code MLB Show. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream direct TV satellite free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get direct TV. What's the little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream direct TV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next, you're going to tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit directtv.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. We're not just front runners here. We're not just jumping on fast starts and saying, this could be real, or maybe it's not. Let's look at Sheldon Noisy for a second, and we're going to get into what Oakland is doing with the roster in its entirety. I can at least defend Sheldon Noisy as the kind of player that if you are offering anyone and everyone an opportunity to play a lot. He at least makes sense as someone who you can get for little or no cost via trade, waivers, free agency, whatever it might be. He at least makes sense to me as someone who's never had that chance in the big leagues, has shown flashes at AAA of being at least an above average hitter, can play multiple positions even if he doesn't necessarily play any position at an average or better clip. And and maybe you find a guy that hits 20 home runs and he hits 260 with a good OBP and he ends up being a middle third of the order guy for you as you go through your rebuild. I can completely get on board with that. And if you look at Sheldon Noisy's stat cast page compared to Taylor Ward's, you see a lot more blue dots on the Sheldon Noisy page. You don't really see blue dots on Taylor Ward's page right now. No. So it's more of a leap like to say this right now. I get it. Keep playing Sheldon Noisy. No issues there. Mm-hmm. What I cannot figure out, and I, and I am. <laughs> I, know, I know where Derek's going with this one. I'm trying to be an optimistic, open minded person that other people evaluating talent, especially people that do it all day long, might see things that I don't see. But, Keith, I need your help on this one. What do the A's see in Christian Bethencourt? Why? Why would you use Christian Bethencourt as a DH or a first baseman or in the middle third of your lineup right now? Because playing time, even when you're rebuilding, it does matter. You can learn something about a player that could be part of your future. Christian Bethencourt went overseas, played in the KBO, didn't play all that well, and he just came back. He's just here again, mysteriously getting middle of the order plate appearances for this rebuilding A's team. What could they possibly see in him that I do not see? I have no idea. This guy is a 249 career on base percentage. It's 211 this year. And he doesn't hit for power. He's got he's no homers this year. He just has three doubles. He's seven for 37 with a walk. And the only thing that made Christian Betancourt interesting, as a pro- he was a top 100 prospect for me, I don't know, 10 years ago. Because he had power and he could really throw. It's an 80 arm. He pitched at one point. If the A's were saying he's our backup catcher and he's going to pitch, sure. But this guy should never be in a starting lineup. You could pluck almost any first baseman 
out of AAA and have a better player and find a better solution at first base. And it's not like the A's. I, I cannot figure it out. While we before we got on the podcast, I was looking at the A's forty man roster. And it's like, am I missing something here? Are they just so packed with players that they they don't have room? But of course that they they have Christian Betancourt on the forty man roster, so I can create a space fairly quickly for somebody by cutting the guy we're talking about here. I I do not understand what there's any possible player they have. They have multiple players in AAA and AA themselves who they could use, they could probably go out and find the next guy who ends up on waivers or who has some kind of opt-out somewhere else. I don't care who it is. Anybody would be better than Christian Betancourt. I don't think the A's are deliberately losing, but if you were going to try to deliberately lose, making Christian Betancourt your DH would be a great way to start. It really is. It is hard to find a player with a career WRC plus of 51 getting chances to DH that DH and play first base and play first base and hit the middle third of the order. I, I think once rosters shrink, right, we're in expanded roster mode right now because of the shortened spring training. A few players are going to get nudged out of organizations. Maybe that's the the action that leads the A's to get someone else on waivers and, and cycle some of that spot. Or maybe the end of Ramon Laureano's suspension means that Chad Pinder becomes a more regular DH. Or when Kevin Smith comes off the IL, maybe Sheldon Noisy's the more regular DH. There's, uh, there's a lot of ways this can happen, but I cannot understand giving playing time to someone that shows nothing and has no real long-term path to being a part of your organization. I cannot justify or defend uh, that sort of decision-making process. And yet, here they are, not as terrible as you might think by record as we near the end of April. We'll see how long they can pull that trick off. But the the last thing I want to talk to you about today, more exciting stuff to many people, I think. AAA pitchers who have pitched well early on, mostly all prospects here. Are, are these guys ready for opportunities as soon as they become available? In a couple of cases, I think the opportunity is there. It's just a question of when the team's going to give it the green light. But Grayson Rodriguez, 28 to 3 strikeout to walk ratio in 18 and a third innings so far at AAA. Uh, you've mentioned on this podcast before the main issue upon arrival is that they've been so careful with him with in game workloads that they may need to stretch him out a bit more in order to not have an issue with him in future seasons. I think of Julio Urias as a guy that it took a while for the Dodgers to use him like a regular starter. If you're the Orioles, you don't necessarily want to have a problem with how you use Grayson Rodriguez two years from now because you didn't use him enough in 2022. I could see them just bringing him up to be a five and dive guy. You're just going to come up, go twice through the order, and that'll be it the rest of the year. Fans won't love it, but they're not winning. And I'm not saying I necessarily agree with it, uh, but I could see them doing that. And, you know, maybe towards the end of the year, if he's still throwing well and he seems healthy, stretch him out a couple of times, last couple outings, and then shut him down like at the end of August. I'm expecting that's what they'll do anyway. There's no way this guy's pitching a six-month season, right? He's barely thrown. He's pitched as little as any pitching prospect who's not had an injury that I can think of in the last, I don't know, 10, 15 years. Anybody I can think of with workloads that low has actually been hurt. He has not. Uh, but I do think we'll see him in the big leagues. And again, I think he's another one who's got nothing left to prove in the minors. Like, let him come up and struggle. I'm assuming, I, I think he will, because most guys are struggling when they first come up. Let him. Let him make the adjustments. He's got more than enough stuff to come up now and hold his own. And maybe he surprises us all. He comes up now and he's dominant right out of the chute. 
I just think it's so much more likely for a pitcher to come up and have success right away in the current environment than it is for a hitter to come up and have success right away. It just seems like pitching development is ahead of hitting development in some ways. Kyle Muller in Atlanta, 28 to 7 strikeout to walk in 19 and two thirds innings. That's with Gwinnett. Bryce Elder holding a spot in the back of the rotation right now. I see a path there. It's sort of a question of whether or not you'd want to use Kyle Muller as a fifth starter, Elder as a fifth starter, or maybe Spencer Strider as a fifth starter, who they've been using more as a long reliever early on this season. Um, I could see, I, I think Mil- I thought Miller had a chance to get a rotation spot coming out of spring training or going into spring training. I would not be surprised if he made 20 starts for them this year. I do think he's probably the best option for that particular spot. We'll see about Strider. I really know and think of Strider more as a reliever, but there are plenty of people in and out of the Atlanta organization who think he at least should have a chance to start. I'm not opposed to it. I feel better about Muller because he's been doing it for longer and because he had success as a starter in the minors last year. How about uh, Matthew Levertor in the Cardinals organization? You look at their rotation right now. Jordan Hicks as a starter, I'd love for it to work, Keith. I just can't imagine it working for volume and i think it would take it would take so many things going right why not use jordan hicks the way that atlanta uses strider right use hicks for two or three innings at a time that's a great way to get him more built up and then maybe try the starter thing next year if you want to Uh, but where do you fall on on libertor um would love to see him in the majors jordan hicks ain't a starter he wasn't a starter before he blew out why is he a starter now that guy never had the command to start i don't get it i assume it's a short-term thing and that we'll see libertor at some point I get, same thing. I love Liberatory. I've ranked him highly for a long time going back to his draft year. Also think he will probably struggle a little bit coming up, and that's fine. He may have a long series of adjustments just to how he uses his pitches and working a little bit on command, and I'm fine with that. Stay If he comes up, gets hit hard, especially if he gives up a lot of home runs, stay with him. I think it'll be there. I do not think he will be great right out of the shoot. I don't think he's going to give them any less than what they're likely to get out of Jordan Hicks, though. How about Max Meyer off to a great start at AAA? 27 to 5 strikeout to walk ratio in 19 and two thirds innings. I, I, where do you put him? I guess it'd be Eliezer Hernandez to the bullpen or going to a six man rotation also seems possible for Miami. I think part of it for me is you're worried about Pablo Lopez staying healthy all year. You're still looking at younger starters with Rodgers and Lazardo. You can push them in a five-man rotation, and you're not doing anything wrong. But I think this is a team that actually could, at least temporarily, go with six starters so long as all six of those guys are healthy. I might try to bring Meyer up. I mean, no one's doing this now, right? None of the guys we talked about are likely to come up and do this. But Meyer, to me especially, is a guy who I would try to bring up and put into some kind of swing role just to manage the workload. He has not pitched a lot, right? He was drafted in the pandemic year. Um, there are so many people who are concerned about this guy staying healthy long term because of his size and because of how hard he throws both the fastball and the slider. Ease him in a little bit and then have him in the rotation in the second half. Another guy who I think may come up and struggle a little bit, but that's just the next step in his development. I do think he can be a starter. I would probably go 60-40 on the starting. If I pulled scouts, it's about 70-30 reliever though, which is kind of interesting to me. Yeah. How much of that is just connected to the frame? He's small. He's short. Actually, he's not small so much as he's short. I mean, Marcus Stroman is short and Sonny Gray is short. So I don't think it's a kill. But I get I hear a lot of also guys saw did not see premium stuff. He didn't hold his stuff all through last year. There were a lot of starts where he was working with, you know, more like a 60 fastball than a 70 or 80 fastball or even a 55 fastball. And and yeah, 
scouts see a guy who's short, not a lot of plane, not a ton of life, and it's not huge velocity, they are going to be concerned. I completely, I understand that. And it's why he wasn't on my top 100 because I had way too many scouts come back to me and say, I put this guy in as a reliever, not as a, as a starter. One more name before we go. Ethan Small in the Brewers system pitching at AAA Nashville right now. Uh, walk rate's a little high, 24 to 12 strikeout to walk so far, but only six hits allowed in 18 and a third innings. And to me, this is kind of a an easy progression. If you make Aaron Ashby a regular starter, if you have designs on that, Ethan Small could be your new Ashby. And then it's just a question of, do you stick to the six-man rotation the way the Brewers have, have dabbled with that at the end of last season and at times early this season? Or do you bump someone like Adrian Hauser or possibly trade him and maybe get a bat? I mean, I think this is this is a Milwaukee team that is in a great spot atop the NL Central right now, but is still showing us some of the same flaws they had a year ago. And addressing that sooner rather than later might be a very good idea for David Stearns and company. Yeah, I, I like the idea of them sticking with the six man if they're willing, because I think it just not only keeps guys healthy, but most at their most effective, right? They have the three guys who the expectation is we get to October and then those three guys, we ride them to a World Series, right? That's mm-hmm. got to be the plan. Um, I have serious questions over whether Ashby is ever going to throw enough strikes to be a starter. I don't like the delivery. I've never liked the delivery. I think that he is not going to have, I don't think he's going to throw enough strikes. I certainly don't think he's going to throw enough quality strikes to be a starter. I would feel better about small doing that, but you could also piggyback guys. You could move guys around. You're going to start a couple of times and then we'll back off small. You know, if it's for health reasons or just to keep guys as fresh as possible, they do have a little bit of surplus to play with. And they are a club who I would expect to get a little bit creative in how they're using them. But I think everything has to come down to here's our core three. And now we just build around that to maximize the output out of, we get out of that trio. Yeah. I just think with small, the walk rates, the thing that I imagine they'd want to see come down before they bring him up. It's just unbelievable. It seems like guys just do not see the ball. Well, coming out of his hand, it's been the case really going back to his days in college too. So I'm uh, really interested to see how this eventually works, but I would imagine he gets broken in in more of a relief role than as someone that comes up and starts. Whereas pretty much everybody else in this conversation, I could see making a decent number of starts and the Meyer concerns and the situation there maybe lend themselves to pushing him into a more of a swing role as well. That is going to do it for this episode of the athletic baseball show. If you're not already a subscriber to the athletic, you can get a subscription for $1 a month at the athletic.com slash baseball show. You can check out the overreaction theater piece that Keith mentioned among everything else that you could possibly want all for one low price. Find Keith on Twitter at Keith law. Find me at Derek Van Riper. The athletic baseball show returns on Monday. Have a great weekend.